feel like worship takes a turn after we end no longer slaves to, to the, the rap beat in the background. Not sure what to do with that really. Just, where, where do I go? Uh, you know, what do I do with that? I, I don't know. Um, so uh, this is our, sorry, just threw me off there. Um, this is our second week in the series, uh, Living Christ. And uh, last week I came and I talked to you guys about purpose. And this is your last week with me. And then Corey will be back. No, no, don't cry. It's okay. It, Corey's going to be back. It's going to be great. Um, but last week I talked to you about purpose. I talked to you about this idea that, that God has something that it's, he's meant for you to do with your life. And whether or not we are choosing to do that uh, is our choice, but we're going to feel fulfilled in seeking God's purpose for our life. This week's a little bit different. This week's about perseverance. And, and, and I, I want to be careful here because there's so many different ways I could talk to you about perseverance, but usually the, the hardest ways to talk about perseverance is when we are going through struggles, uh, when we are going through trials. And, and what I want to say to you in the onset is that the purpose of this lesson is not to come here and berate people who are hurting. That sounds horrible. It sounds like just a really bad idea. But there was a time in my life when uh, I spent about two years in a very difficult season. And there were some things that I wish someone would have told me. And the heart behind the lesson tonight is, is not to make a, someone hurting feel worse. That's not the goal of this. But there, there are some lessons that, that are learned, and many of us have learned this in the seasons that we've been through, in the pains that we've been through, in the trials that we've been through. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to talk about this idea of perseverance. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for tonight, God. I just, I just want to thank you for what you're going to do in this. And, and God, as we walk through this, Lord, uh, for any person in the room who has been in a trial or they know someone who's, who's going through a trial or they themselves are, are in a season of difficulty, God, as, as we discuss this idea of living for you through perseverance, God, Lord, teach us. What are the lessons that we need to walk away with, Lord? Give us wisdom. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So many of us, we are familiar with Mother Teresa. She spent the majority of her life in the slums of Calcutta, India. She was helping the poor, the sick, the orphaned, and the dying. However, in 1997, Mother Teresa's faith was not as solid as outward appearances would indicate. Like many who seek God, she struggled with great doubt wondering about the presence of God. In fact, in 1979, three weeks after accepting the Nobel Peace Prize for her life's work, Mother Teresa wrote in a letter to a spiritual mentor, and this is what she said. I wrote it down so I could give it to you word for word. She says, Jesus has a very special love for you, but as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen, and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer, but does not speak. I want you to pray for me, that I let him have a free hand. And in personal letters and writings, Mother Teresa spoke of this dryness, this darkness, 
in a lament to Jesus, Mother Teresa writes this. She says, when I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. I am told God loves me. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Now I sat back and reading something like this and I was like, wow. Wow. If we could be honest in, in our own lives, I remember my season. There are times in our life when we are more like Mother Teresa here than we want to admit. When we face difficulty after difficulty, we see the mountain of problems in front of us. We feel that darkness. We feel that dryness in our own lives. And then we wonder what we truly believe. And if I could begin this with a premise, it is simply this. That many people question God in their life when they allow their pain to become more real than their faith And it's a hard place to be. It is a hard place to be. And it becomes the difficulty for so many. And I don't say this condescendingly because I've been there. I've done this. I've seen it in the eyes of the people who come to my office for counseling. Some of you, you've lost loved ones, jobs. You may be sick and you may have been sick for a long time and you wonder when it's going to end. You may have sinned. And you're paying the price for it. Or you may have hurt someone in your life. Or you may have compromised what you believe in. But whatever the reason, you find yourself in a place where the darkness seems very real to you. Where the reality of life becomes real to you. Almost too real. Because you see this. The difficult season we find ourselves in reveals our true faith. Not the faith we say we have, the faith we really have. Because what happens is, is this, is we get into the season and then all the facades in our life are stripped away. The plastic fronts that we want to put up, those are gone because we're hurting. We're empty. It's dry and it's dark and and I don't even have the strength to put the facade up anymore. And we've been there. And and even before a difficulty happens, we may go, man, I, I feel like I'm doing good with this Christian thing. And then God shows you where you're at. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. So when all the facades in our life are stripped away in, in that moment, what is left is who we truly are, where we currently are at in our life. But here's the hard thing. In those moments in our life, God can use those moments. You see, God can use the darkness of your season to reveal to you how bright or dim your light really is. And we need those seasons, whether we like it or not, we need those seasons to understand, do I really have faith? I thought it was this, but what God has shown me is that it's this. And and here's a question you might think I'm, I'm way off on this one. Does God really do this? 
Does God really do this? So I don't want this to be my opinion. I'm just going to give you one of a number of examples. In John chapter 9, there is a man. He is born blind. He's blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus if the man sinned or if the man's parents sinned. In other words, why is he blind? Was it his sin or his parents? Listen to Jesus' answer. He says this, he says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the man who has been in darkness from the very beginning of his life, he's not done a thing wrong to be born blind. He's not. God did this. Jesus is saying it right here. God did this. And this man literally was in darkness from birth, but this man's faith is revealed as God works in his life. The hard thing is God allowed it. He allowed it. And whether we like it or not, God allows us to be tested. He allows us to be tested. But look, here's the deal. He didn't just test us in this. this. When Jesus came, Jesus was tested as well. First off, he was sent into the desert for 40 days to, to, to be tested. He was sent to the cross, the ultimate test. And here's what we understand about Jesus and for us too. Jesus never conquered around the darkness. He conquered through it. There was nothing he walked around in his life that he took on the burdens. He took on our shame, our guilt. He suffered the trial. Jesus never avoided the hard things in life and he never said that we were gonna be able to avoid them either. He didn't avoid the cross. He didn't avoid the grave. Jesus conquered those things. And likewise, if I can just tell you, there is no guarantee of a, of, of a pain-free life. There is nowhere in scripture where, where that is, is portrayed. But if we allow God to move, we will also conquer through the difficulties in our life to honor God. Pretty popular verse for, for many Christians is John 16, says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There are Christians who teach that if life gets difficult, if it's going wrong, if you get sick, you're either cursed or you're sinning. We moved around a lot, and, and uh, so my denomination is Baptocostal of Christ to because we would go anywhere. That's just kind of how that worked out. I can argue with myself all day long, but in this one church I was in that was more charismatic, the minute my, my mom was going through difficulty, we were sinning. We didn't know what the sin is. We needed to pray and figure it out, but that was the judgment on my family. And my mom could not figure out what it was she was doing wrong. She prayed for forgiveness more than than I could even remember the number of times. Christians teach this. But look, sometimes it happens just because Jesus said, you will have tribulation. I don't know if you've checked the statistic or not, but 10 out of 10 people die. 
It's 10 out of 10. It's a perfect statistic. Some of you are going to get sick and then die. It's perfect on the statistic scale. It's going to happen. But it doesn't mean that God is mad at you. It doesn't mean that God hates you. I say this because people believe that the minute life gets difficult, the first thing they believe is that God is angry. The second thing that they believe as the the season continues with this mindset is that God doesn't love me. And unfortunately, the destination of this mindset is that God doesn't exist. And then people wonder how a loving God could allow bad things to happen to good people. And we ask the question a lot. And from a spiritual standpoint, this mindset of abandoning God slowly but surely, it's difficult because the one being in the universe that could draw us to himself through our pain is the one we typically abandon first. But there is a better response to life that God offers us. From a Christian perspective, first and foremost, if I could give you a high-level definition, it's not even a complete one. Perseverance is the daily decision to trust God when everything else around you tells you not to. Your actions can reflect this decision. Your words reflect this decision. And your perspective is changed by perseverance. It's making so many choices in your life, not just one choice, but so many choices that pain, obstacles, sickness, or anything else, none of these things will keep you from living for him. That's perseverance. And as we continue our series on living Christ, what does it mean to choose perseverance in suffering? What does it mean to choose perseverance instead of sin. And these are just two categories. There's so many more we could cover, but these are the two issues we deal with the most. How do we stay true to Christ in difficult seasons in our life? And for me, I wish someone had told me. So today I'm telling you as much as as, as I'm capable of doing. So let's get into this. Let's talk about the lesson in trials. This is in your notes, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 1. And it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I read James, I was in a trial. And quote-unquote, pure joy was not my first attribute of my life. It was not. I had a hard time with this verse. But what I had to learn what James is trying to say here. First and foremost, James never calls us to have joy for our trials, but in our trials. We're not called to some shallow faith just pretending like everything is okay when it's not. We are not supposed to act like we are happy because bad things happen. But what we understand is that God uses trials so that ultimately we become the recipients of joy. We become the recipients of joy. And here's what I mean by this. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but if I did, many of you are probably like me, that you probably found Christ at rock bottom. 
You had done all the running you could do. You had made all the mistakes that you could make. I see some of you nodding your heads. That we were at the end of our, we were at the end. We were at the lowest of lows. And maybe it wasn't even something you did, but something someone else did. But we were low. And we saw Christ for who he really is for the first time in that moment. We were recipients of joy. Recipients of joy. I did. And I discovered that my faith in Christ eventually lifted me out of my trial because here's the thing, my situation had not changed. I still was dealing with some of the things I was, I was dealing with before for months after that. But I had joy for the first time in my life. For the first time in a long time, I understood what real joy was. Because if we don't, the trial in and of itself it isolates us. You can have people around you, but they, they don't fully understand the pain you're going through. And no matter what your life looks like, oftentimes we isolate when we hurt. And in this, when there are moments in our life when all we have left is Jesus, if we are receptive enough, we learn he is enough. That he is enough. And in this, once we learn this lesson, we begin to mature spiritually. James says that spiritual maturity is a result of this. Perseverance leads us to the destination of spiritual maturity. I love what Andy Stanley says about this. He says this. He says, spiritual maturity is measured in terms of persevering faith, not perfect behavior. It's less about getting everything perfect in your life, imagining you can live on your own righteousness, but then learning instead that I can persevere in Christ and depend on his righteousness. Because when this is said and done, there are going to be places and times and decisions in your life where you have to choose. Sometimes you can choose to do the wrong thing or you can choose to do the right thing. And sometimes the wrong thing will get you out of a trial. The right thing will cause you to go into one. It's different than taking the easy way out when we choose to do what's right. Maybe you did something bad and you know it's wrong, but you choose to make it right and it comes at a cost. Maybe you choose to, to not do things other people around you that are doing because even though it's popular, you know that it's wrong and then these people don't want to hang out with you anymore because you're one of those Christians. And all of a sudden you find yourself alone. But see, the thing is, is most people don't mind compromising themselves to escape trials. Most people don't mind compromising themselves to escape trials, but we are called to choose Christ through trials, through trials. And this strengthens us because if we don't, if we keep opting out, there's a residual after effect. Simply this, continuing opting out of the trials and mountains in your life for the sake of comfort and safety will diminish your faith because ease builds nothing Nothing. So instead, we make the choice not to compromise. It's what we're called to do. We're called to stand firm in truth, no matter what the cost, to persevere for the sake of God's will. 
It has a lasting spiritual effect in our life. And to persevere through trials is more than enduring trials. The result of perseverance is building our assurance of Christ. Because here's the thing, when your whole world falls apart and when the dust settles and Jesus is still there, I have an assurance. And I, don't to- I did not totally get that in my life until everything in my life fell apart and the dust settled. And I realized that he had been with me the whole time. And that's what trials do. All right, next part. When Mother Teresa, back to her story real quick, when she doubted most, she persevered. She sought after her faith even in her darkest moments of unbelief. She found ways to live through spiritual struggles and she stayed true to her faith in Christ and and her work for him. She never left Calcutta. So throughout her life and her career, Mother Teresa had spiritual advisors. She had confidants. And perhaps in her darkest hour, in in her her biggest time of doubt, one of her spiritual advisors, his name was Joseph Nooner, he told her three things she desperately needed to hear. And I want to cover two of those things with you because they, they, they revolve around this idea of perseverance. So first and foremost, Joseph Nooner, he, he tells Mother Teresa that, that there is no human remedy for the darkness we sometimes find ourselves in. And there's this contrast of light and darkness. Uh, let me give you just an example in John uh, chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is the light. God is, is sending the light into the world. And then there's the darkness. And here's the hard part, that without Christ, we are in darkness. And if we could be honest, without him, we are the darkness. Think about it for a second. There was no way man could be his own savior. We needed a savior. And Paul makes this point in Romans, and you can look at your notes. This is Romans 3, 9 through 12. And he says this. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We are the darkness. We need the light. And here's the thing is, it's not about saying we're the darkness for the sake of of just condemning ourselves, if we don't understand our desperate need for the light, we will have one moment where we think that we're good enough without Christ. We won't say it that way. We'll just think that way. We have to understand our depravity so that we understand the, the enormity of the gift. It is so important. We need the light. So sometimes our trials come because of our sin. 
When we deal with trials because of our sin, our, our moral failure, maybe it was to our marriage, maybe it was to our family or, or to ourselves or just a moral failure to God or to someone else in your life, to persevere in this requires a change in behavior. Please don't over-spiritualize this. Don't say that I have a, a spirit of pornography on me and I'm just looking at porn. There is no spirit that is going to make a decision for you. If I don't accept the responsibility of it, I won't change the behavior of it. And I'll pray against a spirit rather than asking God to forgive me. And look, I am not discounting what happens spiritually. There is a whole realm of things that happen spiritually in our lives. But unless you are possessed, it is your choice. It is your choice. And why do I say this? Because I had to learn this lesson. You will never fully overcome a trial that began because of sin by committing another sin. You may afford yourself temporary relief by making an easy decision, but spiritually, you, your condition becomes worse. It becomes worse and ultimately, what you don't learn in the trial, you repeat. You repeat it because we didn't learn to correct the behavior. Drawing closer to God in the trial and away from your sin becomes a bigger objective than your immediate need in the trial. Why? Because if I change the behavior, not only do I address the problem where I'm at now, I solve future problems because I've changed the behavior. If I don't change the behavior, I just repeat it because I've never addressed it. And we have to understand that. And under, this is so important in Proverbs. He says this, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. So the world is going to tell you this, that if you are down, if you are hurting, if you've been struggling for a long time, just push harder Try harder. Pick yourself back up again and do it. You can do it. Just get up and do it. But there's a problem. What is Proverbs telling us here? Standing up in the weight of difficulty has more to do with righteousness than it does strength. The righteous man is the one who gets up seven times. It's the wicked man who doesn't get back up who struggles. But we're so focused on being strong in our own strength that we forget righteousness. And we wonder why we can't stand. And I say that because I don't want that for anybody. I don't want it for anybody. Because if I put righteousness first, you know what happens? I stand in his strength. I'm walking in his power. Because mine's done. I'm, I can muster up a certain amount of strength for a period of time, but in that season when I was going through something difficult, I would fall back flat on my face because I could only do it for a period of time. But it's when I got to know him, when I sought after him. And here's the thing in this. When we rise... Once the trial is over, we learn that it has never been about how we stand, but why we stand. 
why we stand. We see that we are loved, that, that he is our strength, that he is the reason we're standing in the first place. We fight and he gives us the ability to stand. Ephesians 6 begins with, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not my might, not your might, his. And it's what righteousness affords to all of us. And in this, when we do this, God becomes our very purpose for living and we rejoice in him for what he's done. And it's what we inherit when we strive for righteousness. Now, in Mother Teresa's story, uh, Mr. Nooner told her a second thing. He also told her that feeling Jesus is not the only proof of his being there. And that her very craving for God was a sure sign of God's hidden presence in her life. So let's break that down. I don't know if you've ever read the Psalms, but there are times when David feels so far from God He's, he's like, God, where are you? You feel so far away from me. Do you hear me? And when you read through the Psalms, you get those types of messages from David. So in Psalms 13, I, I just picked one to kind of use as an example. There are so many. This is how it, it starts out. And David says this, he's talking to God. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you been there? Have you feel like that God is, you wonder if God is hearing you or not. You wonder why he's not answering the way that you want him to answer. You wonder if God just doesn't see what you're going through or maybe he doesn't care about what you're going through and you ask yourself those questions. But it's interesting, Psalm 13 is very short and by the end of it, David is no longer questioning God but he is trusting God and thanking him for deliverance. And then here's what we learn. A trial is not God turning his back on you, but it is you choosing whether or not you turn your back on God. I needed that in my life. I needed to understand that I was this close from walking away. I had to understand and look, when the dryness and the darkness comes in your life, what do you think the typical response is from people? And it hurts me. I, I, I hate this part. I, I, I deal with life groups on a regular basis, and, and I'm not pointing a finger at one person. Do not, if you know me, don't think I'm talking about you. But usually when someone messes up and they know they're messing up, the first thing they do is that they back away from church. And if I talk to them, they, they quit praying. They quit reading their Bible. And they quit talking to the people who would give them the right advice and the right comfort and the support. But whether it's shame or whatever that reason is, people typically back away. Is that us? Do we isolate ourselves? Rather, are we the ones turning our backs? See, you may cry out for God like David did and hear silence, but understand that God's silence doesn't discredit his existence. The fact that you long for him, it proves he exists, even if you can't feel it. 
And as much as we sense God's realness and his presence, the same holds true when we feel his absence. Let me give you an example of this. And this is, this is close, but it's not 100% there. I have been married for 18 years. Life group, my life group guys are rolling their eyes because I talk about my wife all the time. I love that woman. 18 years I've been married to her. She is the first person I see when I wake up in the morning. She is the last person to see when I go to bed at night. And for 18, more than that, but roughly over 18 years, that's how it's been. And I'm good with that. And I love her. And, and, and I can't wait for her to get home or she can't wait for me to get home from church so that we can spend time together. Then there's those rare occasions when she leaves. She has to go away for a couple of days. And then I resort to eating like, a, like I'm in college again. Um, just so you know, Cracker Barrel declares, my wife told me I needed more vegetable, but Cracker Barrel has declared macaroni and cheese a vegetable. So you can get four orders of mac and cheese and cook a steak and you're good. Thank you, Cracker Barrel. But I am not myself when she's gone. I'm not myself when she's away because I'm not used to it. But look, the fact that I can't feel her presence doesn't mean she doesn't exist. I feel her absence because she does exist. And with God, it's a slightly different because he never leaves you. You're just not feeling something. Hebrews, Jesus is speaking. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's what he says to, to believers. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And whether you feel something or not, he is still there. He may not give you the answers you want. He may not respond to you when you want him to. But he has never left you. And the fact that you long for him proves his existence. Because if he didn't exist, why is the longing there in the first place? And I hope that makes sense. Because here's what we learn is that more than God will ever give you what you want in a trial, he will give you what you need to know him. To know him. There was a prayer. It was, it was written by a, an unknown soldier. Um, and, the, and the prayer goes as follows. And he writes this. He says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. But I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. But I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy, but I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men, but I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, but I was given life that I might enjoy all things. And he wraps it up this way. He says, I got nothing that I asked for, but received everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. And here's his conclusion. He says, I am among all men most richly blessed. So in persevering, we learn to trust God when he has a different plan for our lives than we do. 
that we are willing to course correct because his will is more important for our life than our will for our lives. And the answer in your trial will always draw you closer to God if, if you accept his answer. There has to be a moment where we accept the answer, even if we wrestle with it for a time, when it comes to accepting God's answer in our trials and perseverance, that is when we draw closer to him. Because ultimately in persevering, this is not only about what God can get you in the trial, it's more about trusting what he's already given you. It's trusting the finished work of the cross. It's trusting and living in faith, knowing that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. The very simple definition of faith is to have complete trust and reliance in something. In this case, in God. So Mother Teresa gets this advice and she writes back uh, to Mr. Nooner and, he, and, and she replies. She says, for the first time in this 11 years, I have come to love the darkness, for I believe now that it is a part, a very, very small part of Jesus's darkness and pain on earth. And here's the deal in this. Mother Teresa, what she's trying to say, she could understand those moments now when Jesus wept. She could understand when he got frustrated and, and, and angry and when he was on the cross and when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? She understood that more in her life because Jesus felt the weight of the world on the cross, but God raised him up for our benefit. And even though Mother Teresa struggled with the darkness, she strayed true to her faith and her calling. And it's interesting, if you look out on the website and you look up her story, there are a number of atheists that are trying to say that she abandoned her faith. But just a few months before her death, she was suffering from heart failure and from pneumonia. She was laying in a hospital bed, unable to speak because of the bronchial tube that they had to insert into her to help her to breathe. She tried to communicate with her caretakers by taking a pen and in her weakness, write words. And her first handful of attempts failed. And then she had a good day, and in all of her strength, she wrote three words. She wrote, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I don't know what you've been through. I don't. But I know that we can trust him to the very end. And when we get this, it leads us to something greater in our life. And we end on this, testimony. We are called to persevere because when we live out a lifetime of choosing Christ, this all plays out in a very uh, well-known verse in, in Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 11. It says this, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Look, to overcome, it literally means to persevere. You're just persevering when you overcome. The minute a person finds out you are a Christian, your life becomes a testimony to the person who is watching you. 
And responding to the world around us in perseverance ultimately results in victory. That's what we see in this verse. And it's the point. Jesus is glorified through your trials when you give your trials to him. Now, when I say testimony, please hear me. I'm not just talking about your conversion story. Today, what happens is sometimes we are more focused on making converts than the disciples. So when we talk about testimony, we, are very, we, we hone in on how we were converted. And that's when, we, when someone asks our testimony, that's what we tell. But please hear me. Your conversion is where your testimony begins, not ends. That's where your testimony starts. It doesn't end there. You're now called to create a lifetime of testimony by continually choosing to follow Jesus, even when it's hard. Perseverance finishes its work in the complete testimony of your life. And whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is, God will use it if you allow your choices and your circumstances to honor him. And then what happens over time, this continual perseverance, it leads to a thing called endurance, being able to endure spiritually. And I love this quote by William Barclay. He says this. He says, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory, to turn it into glory. So perseverance produces endurance. And and when our life is done, no matter how our circumstances end, Our life testimony leads to victory. It's the point of this life. Look, the trials you are going through. I'm not a prophet. I don't know how they're going to end. I don't know how they're going to turn out. But here's what I do know. Jesus understands our trials because he chose the trial. He chose the cross for us. He understands trials. And then the ultimate, ultimate response for me, for my, for my situation that I went through, what I would hope would be simply this. is more than I have needed immediate answers for temporary problems, Christ has offered me the permanent solution for my entire life. My entire life. Tonight I want to ask you a question. Are you persevering? Is your life story centered around the love of Jesus? No matter what you're going through, and I know the pain is real. I have I've experienced it myself. But what will people see if they look at your life? What story does your life tell right now? Because Jesus chose us in our trials. He chose us. No matter what we're going through, he still wants us. He still loves you. And he understands because he faced his own trials for us. And if you persevere, the whole world around you sees your perseverance becomes your testimony. I don't know where I heard this. I'm not this smart. Um, But a man walked up on a stage and he said, there are five gospels. Five, not four. And before you stone me to death, Please hear me. He said, there's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, there's John, and there's you. And he said, most people will not read the other four until they read yours. I'll never forget it. 
Because at the time when I heard it, I was not persevering. Are you persevering? I don't say it lightheartedly because I know personally that the pain is, it's, it's real. Is there something bigger in your life right now than your faith? Ask yourself an honest question and give yourself an honest answer. What is the biggest thing in your life right now? Is it your faith in Christ or is it something else? Can we have the spiritual strength trusting in him enough that even though we don't know why we're in the seasons we're in, that we can look at God and say, God, more than I want answers, I want you. More than I want to understand why this is happening, I don't completely understand why, but I want you. Can we have that kind of strength in our struggle? Because ultimately where this ends is, is, is beautiful. Jesus speaks in the book of Revelations. He says, behold, I am making all things new. That includes you. That includes me. That includes earth. It includes heaven. And he says, the former things are passing away, that there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That is your destiny if you are a Christ follower. And no matter what you're going through right now, you have hope. You have every reason to have hope. Now look, all around us is communion. And I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. I don't want to pray for the sake of transitions. They're welcome to come up now. I'm going to pray because we're going to pray. And here's what I want to do tonight. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask any of those things. If you are in a place right now where you are in a trial and you know that, that there are some steps and some, some changes you need to make in your life, not to make the trial harder, but actually to come out of it, God will give you the strength you need to come out of it. All I want you to do is at your seat, I just want you to agree with me. And I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. God, I just want to take a moment. God, I just want to take a moment. And, and I'm, I want to ask you, God, I want to ask for your intervention. There are people in this room who have struggled for, for weeks, for months, for years. And God, the, the, the people in here, know, they know who they are. God, I want to lift them up tonight. God, we are called to persevere because you are the God of love. And whether we feel your presence or not, God, we know that you are there. We know that you exist. And God, we want you. We want you in our hearts, in our lives. God, we ask you right now to lift us up, to pick us up to break chains in our life. And if there's sin in our life, God, we, we, we repent. We repent and we ask you to forgive us. And God, if this leads us into a, a trial, please, God, we just want you with us. God, we're gonna trust you for tomorrow, no matter what that takes. God, we love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you guys so much for being gracious.